0: Welcome to Avenging Hour. I'm Jason. I am John. That's John. We're going
1: to... What would you say this is? Episode 231? I'm so looking forward to these. Yeah, so (laughs) this this episode, we're looking at the 1990 Avengers Annuals, which was a five-part series called The Terminus Factor. Mm -hmm. So if you remember, Jason, and I know you don't... I remember Terminus. The last two years, Marvel had done line-wide crossovers. Oh, oh, we're talking about that. I thought we were talking about Terminus. Sorry. I know.
0: We have talked about the Atlantis attacks and an Evolutionary War. Yes,
1: yeah. those two. So for two years, every single Marvel annual had to fit into the storyline. And apparently, Marvel realized that those weren't very good. <laughs> and insane at the same time. Though by the time I got to the end of this storyline, I was... So nostalgic for, uh, not really for Atlantis Attacks, but for certainly for Evolutionary War. So at this point, Marvel
0: has started doing family annuals, right? Yes. Okay.
1: Exactly. And that's exactly what it is. They'll take books that fit together. In this case, the Avengers titles plus the Avengers that have their sol- own solo series. Right. Uh, you know, obviously like the Spider-Man books and blah, 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 blah. X-Men, blah. yeah. What do they do with like the, all the others? They just don't get anything? No, I like. Was there a speedball book at this point? Did, was he in anything? I don't know if this was the. Year, but I know there was one year that they like put Daredevil, the Punisher, and Nick Fury, Agent of Shield, together yeah. into one. Is that like a, a proto Marvel Knights thing? Yeah, I guess so. So, so this is a five-part series, and the first three parts are books that we're not going to cover in depth, but I'm gonna we're gonna mention them just. So that we know where we're going. We can just mention the books. We don't have to talk about the story. (laughs) Well, we're not going to talk about the story. So in Captain America Annual Number 9, there is a story called... It's the Terminus Factor Stage 1. And it is called You Are What You Eat. All of these are written by Roy and Dan Thomas, who, of course, have been writing the West Coast Avengers. And the first part in Captain America is drawn by Jim Valentino. And basically, Captain America is, I don't know, up in the mountains somewhere with Iron Man and they're doing some kind of testing of an active volcano and Captain America and a female scientist go down into the volcano and there's some shenanigans and they get all shook what? up like Elvis what shenanigans between Captain America well, and the female yeah. scientist no no and also why is Captain America going into an active volcano right? why wasn't this the Iron Man annual right so for whatever reason Captain America is in the annual with the or in the annual in the uh, in the volcano he and the female scientist are a little nauseous so that day or that night when everyone goes back to the nearby town to have a good old fish fry, Captain America and the scientists don't eat any fish because they're not feeling very well because shenanigans. So that's good for them because this terminus energy got into the fish, mm-hmm. and so when the so towns terminus people, is mercury, so when the <laughs> townspeople eat it, they get all angry and gur, including just... Iron Man. Is this all from runoff from factories? <laughs> Basically, Captain America figures out that the the cold in the nearby mountains will nullify the terminus effect. So he <laughs> lures Iron Man and all the townspeople up into the snow. Wait, and they all turn back to normal. Wait, wait, wait. When they when the Avengers last fought terminus, wasn't it in the snow? Yeah, well, and he did die in the snow, if you remember, yeah. you know, when they fought him in the Savage Land. Yeah, they killed him and were like, eh, whatever. Yeah, because Terminus had blown up the, the machines that kept the Savage Land warm, and so it got really cold, and they left Hercules left him in a snowbank. So, wouldn't you think that cold wouldn't have that effect? But it would, because it hurt him the last time. Well, I don't know if it hurt him. I think Hercules ripping his armor. Yeah, I it think hurt that's him more than... probably
0: pretty much what did.
1: In any case, that was the Captain America Annual. And they get, they get done with the Captain America Annual, and Iron Man and Cap are like, well, that was weird, but I'm sure it was nothing. What they don't know... Is it was something. Is that bears <laughs> are eating the fish. Really? So you get bear terminus. And that takes us to the Iron Man Annual. Iron Man Annual number 11, uh, called the Terminus Factor Stage 2, If the Termini Come... It is also written by Roy and Dan Thomas. This time it's drawn by Tom Morgan. Starts out with Machine Man, which explains how he ends up in the West Coast. Just showing up? (laughs) Yeah. So Machine Man is hanging out with a friend of his when he's attacked by the Terminus Bear from the end of the Captain America animal. The Terminus Bear kills his friend, which I don't know if that's important or not because I don't know anything about Machine Man. I don't think it's important. He mentions it. He 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 does mention Wesley somebody or something like that. So... The, the 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 bear robot ends up attacking a plant that Tony Stark is at. It's actually one of Sunset Bane's plants, who is, as you know, Sunset Bane is Madame Menace. And there's a big fight at the plant. Machine Man gets involved. a uh, machine man and Iron Man end up destroying this this bear bot. But now there's reports of other animals rampaging nearby. So Machine Man and Iron Man end their annual by going off to fight these machine bot or animal bots. Mm-hmm takes us to so far so good the terminus factor stage three the thor annual number 15 can terminus be far behind written by ryan dan thomas drawn by herb trimpey basically iron man had called thor and been like hey thor animal bots we could use some help so thor goes and gets hercules he throws thor drops hercules off in i think san francisco to fight the termini that would explain why hercules shows up in one of these yes and then Thor goes into deep space because even though we had last... Because he's scared. <laughs> <laughs> even though we had last seen Terminus in The Avengers, he had come back and fought Quasar. And Quasar had beaten him along with the cosmically powered Spider-Man by throwing him into deep space. And so Thor knows this because he reads case files. It seems unlikely. Somebody called him. And so he goes to see if he can find Terminus in deep space. And now this is the. It's not the
0: first terminus. See, I don't think we've clarified that we're dealing with different things here.
1: There is more than one terminus. Well, there is one terminus. There's the, hmm. there's the termini who form into something else. Okay. Well, so okay. So,
0: <laughs> but there was a terminus that was already dead, and this is a new terminus. So, there, is there an alien race
1: of termininals? <laughs> so, John Byrne introduces the idea of terminus in the Fantastic Four. He's this giant creature in metal armor and the fantastic four beat him because mr fantastic basically puts a rocket on him and shoves him down to the earth comes back in the avengers they fight him they rip open the suit to find out that he's just a little guy in a big suit and they leave him dead in the savage land whenever he comes back i think in quasar mark Grunwald retcons that to say that wasn't the real terminus of the avengers killed in the savage land that was terminus's assistant oh my god it was, yeah, assistant Terminus, If mm. vice Terminus, if Terminus cannot fulfill the duties of his office. And the he was just being sent by the real Terminus to see, you know, would the Avengers kill him and leave him for dead in the Savage Land? <laughs> well, what do you know? <laughs> so that's the real Terminus that comes, you know, quote unquote, the real Terminus. And isn't the lore of this Terminus or is it the Termini
0: that they're going to these planets that were involved in their
1: planet dying or something? There is a lore to Terminus, but I've, I don't know. I've They never... mentioned it in one of these, and I was like, wait, that doesn't make sense. No, Terminus was always more interesting when we didn't know anything about it. <laughs> Please stop trying to explain Terminus to us, is what I would say to Marvel writers.
0: So the Termini that Thor is going to see is the one that Mark Grinwald retconned. He's yes. like the boss Terminus.
1: Yes, the quote-unquote real Terminus. And, but and...
0: the stuff that's on Earth is Termini. they are smaller versions that are eventually going to coalesce into a competitive, like... Yeah. Godzilla and Mecha Godzilla. That's a very good analogy. It's a horrible analogy
1: because they're both like Mecha, aren't they? Well, okay, but, you know. But yeah. So when Thor finds the quote unquote real Terminus out in outer space, they fight, and Terminus basically steals Mjolnir, absorbs <laughs> Mjolnir into his body. Right. Leaves Thor stuck out in outer space, and heads to Earth. And how does that work exactly?
0: Well. Because they discuss it in these annuals about how, well, how did he get Mjolnir
1: because. He apparently, can't apparently Thor let him? So, so I guess Thor can let people play with Mjolnir if they want to. I didn't if think I that's nicely. I didn't think that's how that enchantment
0: worked. I don't think he asked nicely though. So plus, he, plus the thing is that Thor can just get it back whenever he wants. Well, to. Well, and
1: that's why Thor lets him absorb Mjolnir, as we'll find out in, in an issue or two. That this is part of Thor's cunning plan. Mm,
0: Thor, so smart.
1: So, in any case, as you say, the real terminus arrives on Earth just as all these term, the smaller termini coalesce into another terminus and so you have two terminus you have two two giant terminus robots yeah, I, and that, that takes us here to west coast avengers Annual number five when titans trash it is written by roy and dan thomas drawn by jim fry and inked by keith williams so a real quick synopsis of this story and then we can start to i guess talk about it dr pan manages to reactivate the human torch just as the West Coast Avengers are called to deal with Terminus. Of course, the Human Torch had been shut down by Magneto when they fought him. Yes. And A couple just, issues ago, or last issue we. It's Yeah, like three or four months ago, our time. Well, not our time, but the time which these comic books are published. <laughs> Dr. Boom's reviving the Human Torch. Iron Man and Machine Man are there because they stopped, I guess, fighting Termini to come in here and help out or hang out or, or rubberneck or whatever. And this is where Machine Man mentions the death of Peter Spaulding. Yeah, I don't know who that is, and I'm a Machine Man fan. I think it's his lawyer? <laughs> <laughs> I really don't know. So in any case, the Avengers have been called to fight Terminus, so they head to San Francisco to rendezvous with Hercules, who's basically just standing there watching as these two giant Terminus. I mean, these things are, you know, 30, 40, 60 feet tall as they fight each other. Can we, um, can we re-explain
0: this, this Human Torch thing before we go any further? Re explain what part. So he was deactivated. You said Magneto, but it was actually Wanda, right? Her hex that. I'm sorry, you are right. My apologies. When they first reactivate him, he doesn't seem to know what's going on. He's asking them if it's still 1990. Hawkeye has to introduce himself to him. Well,
1: I think. I think, I mean, because, you know, when he asks if it's 1990, it's because the last time he... He doesn't know how long he's been shut down for. The last time he was shut down, he was shut down for like 30 years. So he's a little concerned that it's going to be 30 years. I don't know why he has to reintroduce himself to Hawkeye. That makes zero sense. Was was Hawkeye not around when Torch was briefly on the team? He was in Detroit a lot, but I'm almost positive that they had met. In fact, I'm almost positive they had met in issues that Roy and Dan Thomas wrote. That was going to be during my next the Magneto Scarlet Witch. Was this all
0: written by the same
1: people? So I I don't understand
0: what that's about. These annuals are always weird to me because they're they're in the storyline that's currently going on, but they're not really. And it always feels like the writer has to reintroduce who everybody is for each annual. Like who's going out of their way to just pick up the Avengers annual and ignore the rest of the Avengers titles the whole year? Yeah. Like, oh, this annual looks good, part four of five. I think I'm going to pick this up and not know who anyone is.
1: And I don't really understand the, well, maybe I do. I don't, to an extent, I don't understand the idea of Marvel, uh, the publisher, in in changing to a family-style annual thing. Because the whole point of having a line-wide annual crossover is that hopefully, even though I don't read Amazing Spider-Man, I read The Avengers, I'll pick up The Amazing Spider-Man's annual because it's part of a storyline I am reading in the books I do read. Sure. But if you're only doing families, chances are if I read Avengers, I probably read Captain America, Iron Man, and Thor. Though, to be fair, I did read the Avengers, and I didn't read Thor or Iron Man. Oh, so, really?
0: hmm.
1: certainly not Thor. I never... I
0: I only read Thor when Simonson was doing
1: it. Yes. I. Other than that, I never had an interest in Thor. Hmm. Wow. So, I, I don't know, but... So anyway, so yeah, the Avengers show up, and basically the Avengers start. I'm fighting. sorry, I'm going to interrupt you again. No, it's okay. Who's this Jim Fry guy that's doing the penciling? Have we talked about him before? Yeah, he had, he did, um, I believe either a backup story in another annual or he did okay. a um, Avengers Spotlight. Okay, just curious. The Avengers, uh, basically the West Coast Avengers and Hercules and Machine Man, head off and and fight the Terminus, the two Termini. The I, I don't know how to how to hey. refer to these people. Well, they're calling the new one the Termini
0: creature. And the other one, terminus, terminus is the "quote unquote" father, and this Termini thing is the, his son, some kind of a spawn. But do we know how they're related? No. Like, are they? If this I, I, one thing is made out of these these weird chemical bits that came out of the water and into the fish and into the bears, and how is that related to? And I'm not entirely sure how terminus
1: because they are related and they look very similar. I, I'm not sure how the term how. The original Terminus got this energy here, well, how he seeded this energy. Yeah. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And it may have been in the annuals that I did not
0: read a- either. Unless it's just when his assistant rotted in the Savage Land, like he leached into the... <laughs> I mean, there is
1: actually something to be said <laughs> for this, that. Into the water system. Because I'm pretty sure it was in the volcano that Cap and this female scientist were, were researching. Yeah. That that's where this energy came from. So it is possible that this is... Something that's just left over and was not his... It was not an intentional plan. All right. I like that Dr. Pam enlarges these huge lenses that he's going to use against the Termini. And... Do you? <laughs> well, I do only because... I believe it's Hawkeye who says, what are those? Are those monocles for the Termini? And I so wish they were. They're not, but I would i li- never I've never been a big Terminus fan. Yeah. Though I he's okay in the Fantastic Four and the Avengers, because he's they don't try to explain him. He's just really bad. That being said, if he had a monocle, I'd like him at least three times as much as I do now. <laughs> also, I'm still never sure why anyone would follow the, the and this book's been doing this for a while where Hank Pym is being portrayed as the super competent leader. And yeah. I'm not sure where this characterization is coming from or yeah. why anybody would be like, oh yeah, I'll do whatever you say, Dr. Pym, completely without question. Right, I'm sorry, Did we were we having
0: a, a summary here? Did we interrupt it or did we finish the summary? I've been
1: interrupting it as we <laughs> go along. If you want to talk about the fight. Uh, no, I don't. I don't understand. So
0: Pim's big plan is, to, okay, I got these giant lenses and we're going to line them up just right to blind both of the Termini for like eight seconds. All right, our job's done. Let's get out of here. What, what was that supposed to accomplish? I don't know what he thought that would accomplish. It didn't explode them. It no, didn't burn them up. It didn't give
1: anyone an advantage. They just got confused trying to fight each other, so they wandered off. And you can't really hurt them. So blinding them doesn't seem like it's going to help. And and then Plus are they it blinds just, everybody else too? <laughs> and are they going to start lashing out blindly? If they can't see anything. No, they just wander off. But again, this is a Hank Pym plan. And I don't know why we suddenly think these are a good idea. Foolproof. I will just a couple of notes. The US agent mentions his bosses, how he's been forced onto the team. It's the first time he said that in a while, and it's gonna become important as we move through the next eight or 10 issues of their regular title and Hawkeye gets Mopey again. And I never have time for Mopey Hawkeye cause that's <laughs> not who he is. Um, as you say, the, the Pim blinds these guys, they wander in different directions and then they come together again. That once they, once their vision clears, they come back at each other and they kind of hit each other and it seems like they explode. But what they actually do is merge into a super tall, four-armed Terminus. Oh, did that happen already? We always really skipped ahead here, didn't we? Well, that's because I find this fight very dull. Uh, Yeah. If you have things you want to like to say about it, please do. People punch
0: things and nothing happens, and then... (laughs) My favorite part is that Hercules tries to um, use the same trick that he used when they fought the other Terminus. He's like, well, I'm just going to jump at it, and I'll just bash my fist through its chest and rip it open as I
1: fall down, and it doesn't work. Yeah, it's kind of funny, because, I mean, it did work for him once. To be fair to Hercules, but he just bounces off. Hawkeye, I feel like Roy is running Hawkeye a little meaner. He's he's got some very pointed barbs at Quicksilver, and I'm not sure what that's about. If he's if he thinks it's the 1960s, still he's been. Uh, we'll see in coming
0: upcoming issues. He writes Hawkeye very angry all the time,
1: much like he did in the 1960s. But that's not who Hawkeye is anymore. Roy Thomas, he doesn't know. <laughs> he doesn't read comics. Um, they just call him
0: up every once in a while, like wake him up from his slumber.
1: He also has Hawkeye say, do you think there's really somebody... He's talking about the new Iron Man, and he asks Dr. Pym, do you think there's really somebody else under the new Iron Man's tin can trousseau? I guess, is that French for trousers? I, I don't know. I skipped over that word. There's no way Hawkeye says that. No way. <laughs> I don't believe it for a second.
0: I was going to comment on Hercules' commentary earlier in the issue, but I let it go, because there's no way Hercules would rattle off like a huge paragraph with words that big in it, but
1: whatever. Yeah. He was bored and alone. (laughs) I'm also a little surprised because at one point in time, the Human Torch tells Wonder Man that they have to stay in the fight and not protect civilians because there's more at stake here than even a few human lives. I'm not necessarily (laughs) saying he's wrong, though considering how effective the Avengers have been against these monsters, which is to say not at all, they might as well save the human lives because they're not stopping it. But I don't know if that's that's his idea because he's from World War II where, you know, I, I guess some... Innocent life being lost was... It just seemed a little weird.
0: The whole thing's weird. I don't even know where they've wandered off to. Is this a town that we are aware of? I don't think so.
1: But basically, we end the issue with four on Terminus. Yeah. And then we end, end the issue with the East Coast Avengers being like, you know what we should do? We should go fight a Terminus. <laughs> Which sets us up for the next issue. Now... This is a 64-page annual, and that mm. first story is, I don't know, maybe 32 pages. Which means uh, it says 26. 26 so pages. many pages to fill. So many more. So every and all of them are horrible. Every one of these annuals had a media watch, where they show some kind of a news program about what's going on with the Terminus. Yep. And in this case, it's for this issue, it's Media Watch, and this is Nightline, written by Rob Tokar, Uh, penciled by Jim Reddington and inked by Keith Williams. Rob Tokar should never write anything ever again. He mostly was an editor. And this is, uh, in my opinion, this is more of Marvel being like, our editors, we think, should write stories every now and again. And I'm not sure every editor should. Nope. He went on to be the editor-in-chief of Tokyo Pop Mm. and was an editor with uh, Blizzard Entertainment and an editor at Disney Comics. Mm. Uh, But it looks like he only wrote three stories, which
0: good yeah is this one of the three and the next day annual is number two of the three i'm just curious oh, if I, all he wrote was just these media he didn't write things. the next media watch no. okay
1: i believe this host is supposed to be ted koppel and this yes. is
0: yeah and all of the people that are on the show look exactly the same they do is he uh, jim reddington's pencils are not great
1: this is basically a story about uh, isn't it, is it a story <laughs> well this is you know this is a nightline show i mean kids today ted koppel ask your parents he used to have a, a nighttime show on, and he basically has three, pe- three people on to talk about the Terminus situation. We only know one of them. He's Dr. Peter Corbell. We've talked about him before. He's from Star Core. He's Star. from Star Corps. Usually he shows up in the X-Men issues, but he has been in the Avengers before. The okay. others are just... There's uh, a
0: senator and then some like UFO crazy person.
1: And it truly is... I, 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 I can't even follow it. I'm not
0: sure which... Which word bubble I'm supposed to be reading next. They don't flow well. And it's all these jokes and the guys like interrupting each other and like, well, I think. Rah, rah, rah,
1: rah. Jokes? Yeah. yeah, The whole thing's a joke. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just, I don't understand. We'll talk about the Media Watch again at the end of next ep- episode or next issue. And all these pages
0: are so boring because it's just floating it's a- heads on screens and yes. no backgrounds.
1: And it's uh, if you're, six seven pages. Yeah, if your favorite part of The Dark Knight Returns is Frank Miller drawing the <laughs> the TV screens, uh, <laughs> but you wanted it to be a little less interesting, then I guess this is the story for you. The next story is a Firebird story. It is called Tanks for Nothing, mm. written by Gary Barnum, drawn by or penciled by Brad Vancata, inked by Jim Sanders. Gary Barnum is another one of these creators that I can't find basically anything on. He does editing and writing but he has very few credits. Most of his credits at Marvel for writing are backups and annuals and uh, Marvel Comics Presents, which is basically an entire oh, series that was, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So in this story, Firebird <laughs> is at a SeaWorld-type park when an Atlantean group called Surf arrives to rescue the sea creatures. She fights them for pages because apparently she's deaf and doesn't hear them continually say that she that they're there to free the creatures. And then they come to some sort of understanding at the end. She's just there to save capitalism. You can't save
0: these creatures. The People make money off them. This story. Okay, so I was was walking our dogs the other day with my wife and I was talking about how these 90s comics are weird to me. When we read these comics in the 90s themselves, we're like, oh, these are, like, obviously I thought The Avengers was good because I kept reading it. Well, I didn't think this annual was good. I never liked these. But looking back on 90s comics, I feel they were very preachy. And I think it's because in the 90s, everyone just felt good about stuff. Like, we didn't have some nuclear war hanging over our heads because the Cold War had ended already. And, you know, the music was good and TV was good. And everybody was like, yeah, man, let's, let's save the whales. Let's uh, talk about gang violence. Let's, hey, drugs are bad. Like, everything was some preachy message comic. And this one, when you get to the very end and they're just talking about, like, you know, whales are endangered, man. We have to do our part to save the whale. I was like, oh, my God. I just read a superhero comic and they want me to save whales. I mean,
1: I don't know if that's just a 90s thing. I mean, certainly the 70s has a lot of that as well. And I feel like you can find it in a lot of decades. I, I
0: agree. But the 70s was also more angsty. There was more hanging over our heads, I think, and the '80s was like just heavy with everyone was feeling bad about Reagan and Reaganomics, and the world was gonna be horrible. And I mean, it's I like went in waves. The '60s were goofy. I loved the '60s comics. I'm not saying you're. I'm certainly not saying that you're wrong. I'm just throwing that out there. As yeah, no. I'm some of these backup totally stories wrong. seem to be trying
1: to teach me something the that prob- I don't want. <laughs> the, and and the problem is certainly with this story is again. Surf is very clear that they are just here because they feel the whales are being abused and treated poorly. And they say it again and again and again. Right. And at the end of the story, Pym and Hawkeye are like, no, man,
0: we treat these whales great. It's awesome. And they're like, okay, we're going to leave. Yeah. Not knowing that SeaWorld,
1: no offense, SeaWorld, treats their animals horribly. <laughs> well, yeah we've, yeah, we've done entire... Well, and I think that they make a good point, even though they say we're going to leave... You know, they they say you might treat them okay, but they're still performing for food. Yeah. That seems wrong. Um, Plus, who is this surf
0: group? Have we ever seen or will ever seen these Atlanteans with superpowers again? No, we won't. It's like
1: the power pack of Atlantis. The The story is dedicated to the memory of Corky and Orky. See? Corky and Orky are damn message comics. They are two captive whales. Uh, Orky or, or were they? Were, well, Orky <laughs> died in 1988. Corky is still alive at SeaWorld, so I'm not really sure why it was dedicated to one of, to a whale that's not dead. But I guess just in solidarity, Free Willy. The next story is called "Don't You Dare Miss It." It is written by Dwayne McDuffie, penciled by Grant Meme, and inked by Rick Parker. Grant Meme is a new name for us. He is Canadian, started doing comics in the mid-80s, uh, did a decent amount of work for DC, Marvel, Dark Horse, Comico, and Heroic, but he doesn't have a long run on anything. Uh, he did His longest runs are 16 issues of Legend of the Shield, 10 issues of Manhunter and Jason, 13 issues of Ravage 2099. <laughs> uh, he mostly does commercial art now. The problem with this story is definitely not the art. Uh, Wonder Man convinces the West Coast Avengers to do an appearance at a monster truck show with him (laughs) when the villain Dr. Goodwrench attacks the heroes to feed him. I don't hate this story. Dr. Goodwrench, who apparently his superpower is schizophrenia? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's compared to most of the stories in the annual. This is a breath of fresh air, in my opinion. It is silly, but it's silly. And I can deal with silly. Oh, sure. So yes, Dr. Goodwrench is a man who thinks that machines are sentient and they are talking to him, which, spoiler alert, machines are not sentient and they are not talking to him. And he's just crazy. And he's just crazy, but he fights them using, he can control machines. Mm-hmm. And so he fights them using machines and they eventually, the, the issue ends because the vision basically convinces him that the machines aren't sentient and they're not talking to him. And he's like, oh my goodness, I think I need professional help. Yeah. And they're like, we'll take you, we'll take you to a hospital. Um, I kind of like it. Here's my problem with the story, and it's the
0: first page of the story. U.S. agent is trying to lift a weight. Now, it says in the caption that it's some sort of barbell constructed of a special ultra-massive alloy. Hawkeye's in the background cheering him on, which, completely against character because they hate each other. Yeah. Secondly, as we'll find out in an upcoming episode that we're going to record, U.S. agent brags about being able to lift 10 tons. That doesn't look like 10 tons. No, it does not. And he's struggling. Yeah. Um, That threw me off right from the beginning. I was like, why is Hawkeye cheering for him? That is weird that Hawkeye would be cheering for him. Dr. Goodwrench's costume is strange. He looks like a
1: cross between some sort of snake and paladin. (laughs) I will also say that this issue kind of feels like it's a throwback. Like Hawkeye is Mm -hmm. acting like he is the leader. And Iron Man seems annoyed at Wonder Man. I feel like yeah, it almost yeah, feels yeah. like it was written, even though it's got well, U.S. I, Agent and the Vision in it. It almost feels like it was written back in Steve Englehart's. Work. I'm
0: going to assume Dwayne McDuffie hasn't read the last 40 issues of the <laughs> West Coast Avengers, <laughs> and they're like, "Hey, do you want to write this story?" And he said, "Can
1: I put a fire breathing monster truck in it?" And they said, "Yes, please." And then the last, uh, the last story of this issue is, "Honey, I Shrunk the Hyperatomic Anti-Proton Cannon," written by Carrie Bear, <sighs> Carrie Barr. And drawn by James Fry with inks by Chris Ivey, uh, where Dr. Pym accidentally shrinks, well, he shrinks and then accidentally loses his hyperatomic anti proton cannon, and the team has to search for it. Wonder Man accidentally eats it and it explodes inside him, not hurting him because he's Wonder Man. It's another silly backup. It's silly. Unfortunately, I didn't enjoy it as much as the last one. The characterizations are all off. Because, I mean, at least the last one is silly, typical superhero, let's fight a villain. Yeah. This is just them trash in a room. It's what they call a bottle episode. It all takes place in one room. By the way, this is the first Carrie Barr story, but I can find literally nothing on her, though we will see her writing an Avengers uh, Spotlight next episode. Oh, really? Episode. I don't pay any time. Yeah this this Avenger this U.S. agent in this story you say the characterizations are off. It's like in this story he's a he's an army robot. Yeah, like he's very.
0: Um, I like this one better than the regular one, he's but he's got a lot like mili- he's exhibiting like military planning and mm-hmm. how we're going to go about finding this thing. And, yeah, it's it's not it's again as this kind of stuff goes, well, it's not horrible. Wonder Man doesn't have any of his angst. He's
1: just being kind of goofy because he's just standing in the same spot while the whole thing's going on. It's certainly, again, we've had worse stories in this annual, but it's, I mean, it's just the definition of pointless. I kind of like um,
0: Jim Fry's art here. He's the same guy that did the issue, right? Yeah. Yeah, I kind of like his art. I don't know why. It feels kind of
1: 90s, like everyone's a little exaggerated. I don't hate it. I feel it's much better in the backup story, where I don't know if it's his inker in the backup story is better, or if it's because he has more room. He's not trying to smush so much stuff. Both, in my opinion, both of the... Uh, of the, um, Or I guess not. The Avengers Annual that we're going to talk about here is not not nearly as messy. Well, no, because it's Herb Trimpy, and it's, it's very clean. Uh, so we are now moving on to... Avengers Annual Number 19, The Terminus Factor Stage 5, Beat Me in St. Louis. (laughs) Written by Roy and Dan Thomas, drawn by Herb Trimpey, with inks by Jeff Albrecht. Uh, Basically, we have the East and West Coast, I'm sorry, the East Coast Avengers, the West Coast Avengers, and the Great Lakes Avengers meeting in St. Louis to deal with this giant four-armed Terminus. But their attacks against it are having very little effect. Hey, Captain Marvel's here. And look, there's Star Fox. Yeah, we get to see a lot of people that we don't normally see. Roy Thomas, is in his narration, is trying to have some fun, I guess, with what you call this massive forum, Terminus. It says, call him Terminus, Terminoid, Terminex, which I'm pretty sure is a pest control exterminator name. (laughs) Or Terminator. Um, I don't like any of those. Terminus is the best. I don't know why we don't just stick with that. And we now learn, and he does tell us here in the... um, In the dialogue, why this Terminus exists. Because the Celestials destroyed the race which created him. And so he is trying to kill any people on any planet that has been spared by the Celestials. There we go. Yeah. I knew there was some sort of weird lore in here. Uh, As you say, we get to see Monica again. That makes me very happy. Always so happy to see Monica Rambeau back. Uh, Also not so happy that Captain America uh, says the Great Lakes Avengers may get there before us. Lord, help us. Hey, give the Great Lakes Avengers a chance. They're the greatest team. (laughs) Uh, Of course, we immediately, uh, because we have Big Bertha, get some fat jokes, which we hopefully wouldn't do now. But in any case, I don't know if you have any comments about the fight. It's Basically, they should spend most of their time protecting civilians, and that's what those that can't fly do. Basically, the powerhouses that can fly huddle around Terminus and shoot at him, him and hit him and, and annoy him while everybody else helps with civilians. We see where
0: Thor is. He's landed on an asteroid of sorts.
1: Yes, and he he lands there, he smashes down, and then he starts singing. Singing the song of his people. <laughs> and what he's doing is, the reason he allowed Terminus to absorb Mjolnir is because he's now calling Mjolnir back to him. Right. Because, of course, we know... but. And his plan is that he's going to call it back, and as Terminus comes flying toward him, he'll jump out of the way, and Terminus will hit the asteroid he's standing on, and that will kill Terminus. Doesn't seem like that would be enough. Also, so
0: we know from the movies that Thor just puts his hand out and Mjolnir comes up. So yes. his singing is he's like reinstating these enchantments? I believe That so. he let lapse so yes. that Mjolnir could
1: get away? That's my understanding. Okay. Now, when Terminus goes flying off Earth because Mjolnir is pulling him towards Thor, again, the, the cosmic Avengers or the flying Avengers that were near Terminus are pulled along with him, uh, leading to... Because they're in his orbit? <laughs> pretty much. They're like, they're, like, caught in a gravity sheath okay. around him. I wasn't sure if they were just following him because, just to keep fighting him, but... it. it it leads to my favorite bit of art in this annual, which is Herb Trimpey drawing the Avengers that are stuck on Earth, who are just like leaning against lampposts, and you know, because <laughs> they can't do it. At this point in time, their job is done, and they're just chatting. Uh, Terminus hits the asteroid, but it doesn't kill him. It just stuns him. Shocking. And so, the Avengers, uh, I guess what Quasar does is grabs the staff, Terminus' staff and Quantum jumps it away. And then... Terminus beats himself because when he was on Earth, he was apparently drawing his mass from the Earth, like sucking up material from the Earth, and now he can't do that anymore. So he shrinks. So he starts sucking energy from himself, mm. which causes him to get smaller. Which doesn't make sense. Well, no, because what is <laughs> If you have the mass already and you're sucking it
0: back into yourself, you're not losing any mass. Well, also, you're recycling.
1: What was his long-range plan here? Because if he would eventually had destroyed the Earth... He then would have been without material then. To go to another planet to start over. would he have sucked himself into oblivion, then sucked himself into oblivion? (laughs) You you said that that other piece was (laughs) your favorite piece of art, but this panel in
0: the corner is my favorite piece of art, where Thor and Quasar are talking about getting the lance, and Thor is just gesturing, and his fingers are just pointing (laughs) in one direction, and somehow
1: Quasar understands that that means, oh, go get the lance? I think Thor's at the disco. It's so funny. It is a great, a great panel, and that's the terminus objective.
0: So again, huge threat that the Avengers really don't do anything about it. It
1: solves itself. I mean, I guess Thor helps by pulling him off the planet, but the rest here's of the a, Avengers aren't necessary. Here's my thing: Why didn't Mjolnir just come out of Terminus? Why didn't
0: Why didn't Thor calling Mjolnir back just rip a hole in Terminus that murdered him? Why did it bring all of Terminus? Terminus isn't Mjolnir. Mjolnir was just inside
1: Terminus. Yeah, that's a very good question. I don't actually have an answer.
0: In fact, I don't remember if it was this one or the or the West Coast annual. Wasp got inside Terminus, and realized that he was just energy on the inside. Yes.
1: So. <laughs> yeah, that is curious. What is what is Terminus? If he is just energy, is he just
0: another little alien guy like his assistant? except this guy has like a mustache and a top hat cuz he's the boss.
1: Oh, I hope he has like a, a top hat. hat and a monocle. Well,
0: let's not go overboard.
1: <laughs> that would be he didn't silly. have a monocle, remember? That was just a lens. No silliness. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know. I just I know that I never liked this storyline even in the 90s. No. This was storyline just doesn't work. Doesn't make any sense. Uh, the next, we next have our Media Watch for this issue. It's mm-hmm. Media Watch, A Few Minutes with Andy Rooney, written by Dwayne McDuffie, penciled by Jim Reddington, and oh. inked by Andy Mushinsky, And it is Eddie... Mu- <laughs> Andy Rooney editorializing about Terminus. It who's, goes on forever. Who's Andy Rooney? He was on
0: 60 Minutes. He was an old guy that goes, what's the deal with seatbelts? And then he'd like meander and talk about stuff that made no sense. And then he'd answer a reader's question. And <laughs> I do not
1: understand the point of the media watches. But they don't make Because any- the, none of them contain actual Avengers. It's just like, what would TV be like in a world... Where this Terminus thing happened and we had to talk about it? Yeah, it almost makes me think that someone in, in the writers' room said, what would the world be like... What would the media be like in a world where the terminus factor happened? Yeah. I think it'd be something like this. And mm-hmm. they, they then they go into some dumb sketch. I mean, isn't that the same way that the damage
0: control, also Dwayne McDuffie, isn't that the, what that sprung out of? Like, well, if all this stuff is happening in the world, like, what's the result of that? How are the regular people? Yes, but that's clever. I know. And those characters are interesting. And, and this could be if it was done right, but... I mean, the, they have to jam Andy Rooney in here. The last time they had to try and work Ted Koppel in, like, make up your own yeah. news team that's that's their job is to, like, follow superheroes around. Like, that's not really been done. There's, we've had a reporter here and there that pops into the Avengers or something. but
1: Or use people like, let's like let, us let you know, jo- J. Jonah Jameson's doing a guest editorial. Yeah. And let's let him rant for three pages. That at least, I think, would be somewhat more interesting he and have could, fun with it. And he would probably tie it into Spider-Man yeah. or somebody and complain about it and... Anyway, I, yeah, I, they bother me more than anything else. The They go on forever. Next we have oh my God, this Acts thing. of Vengeance Epilogue. It is written by Mark Grunewald, drawn or penciled by Vince Carrick and inked by Bob Downs. Know nothing about Vince Uh <laughs> Nothing at all. You know what the problem with
0: this story is? Is it says it's an epilogue, which usually is like a wrap-up where they'll tell you what happened after the fact. This is just a recap of every single thing that happened during Acts of Vengeance, just in
1: case you never read it. Yeah, it's Captain America Vision and Thor basically sitting down and and trying to go over Acts of Vengeance because of course, according to Captain America, it's the most devastating setback the team has had in years. I mean, I guess your headquarters did sink, but I mean Headquarters sucked. <laughs> <laughs> You know, just and then and as they're going over this, a few things that come out to me. This is like us doing a podcast recapping the Acts of Vengeance storyline. <laughs> Avengers headquarters sank, as we find out here, because Thor forgot his beeper. <laughs> because he says, uh, I was at labor in my alternate identity, and ne- regret to say, I neglected to take my signal device." Yep, so this is all Thor's fault. It is. This we uh, this story does explain probably the most important no, please. thing that we have learned or have wondered about for the past few issues, which is why does Jarvis's eye patch keep appearing and disappearing? And we find out here it's because his doctor told him to take it off for a couple hours a day Jesus. to get it. So now we know why sometimes he has it and sometimes he doesn't. I feel like really we could close out the Avengers podcast here. I know we were going to go all the way to the end of volume one, but... What other mysteries are there to solve? This is a great story if you want to show how if Stop. you want to show how boring and the how routine being an Avenger is. You know, they always say that, you know, people that seem to have exciting jobs like actors or policemen, so much of it is waiting around or it's paperwork. Yeah. And I think this story goes a long way to showing just how boring being an Avenger would be on a day to day basis. Like
0: I can imagine that Vision and Captain America probably enjoy this, but Thor sitting at the table listening
1: to all this? Yeah, never gonna happen. It's it's a shame because I think a small wrap up of Acts of Vengeance wouldn't have been a bad idea to try to make sense of it because we talked about it so many times when we were discussing those issues that it doesn't really make sense. I, I guess this is for people.
0: that It's like a 30 part storyline for people that didn't read all of the issues to kind of fill in the blanks. Yeah,
1: I don't care about those people. No, I would have preferred this to be like a three or four page wrap up and I'd have been happy. Oh, Yeah. Next story is called Ugh. The Day the Strangers Came. It is written by Kurt Busiek and drawn by Richard Howell. So, Kurt Busiek, important guy. Born sure. born <laughs> September 16th, 1960 in Boston. He and Scott McCloud were friends. Scott McCloud of Understanding Comics. And they... Kurt Busiek started out as a letter hack at Marvel, and then sure. he started pitching stories to Dick Giordano over at DC when he was a senior in high school. His first work, his first published work, was in 1983. It was a backup story in Green Lantern One Sixty Two, and he bounced back and forth have we since seriously then. Seriously, not talked about Kurt Busiek? Before? We have not. He's bounced back and forth between DC and Marvel since then. He uh, and he's worked for other companies as well. Probably best known for his long runs on uh, at Dark Horse Conan the Barbarian. At DC, uh, Superman, The Power Company, and Trinity. Uh, he has his own title, the creator-owned Astro City. And at Marvel, he has done long runs on The Defenders, Iron Man, Marvels, Spider-Man, Thunderbolt. And coming up... I think he did The Avengers for a while, right? A very long one on The Avengers. Coming up, he'll be on the title for four or five years. I love Korpusiak. He can be a little wordy, but generally, I think his stories are really good. I mean, he's no Chris Claremont. <laughs> well, then who is? And I will tell you though,
0: of all the stories Kurt Busig has written, this is the gleaming gem atop of the
1: diamond tiara. This story sucks. <laughs> I don't agree, but. Oh my God. This story is drawn by Richard Howell. Richard Howell, born November 16th, 1955. Started in the late 70s with self-published comics and doing some editing. He's also worked for multiple comics companies. But all of his small, all of his long runs are for smaller companies. Uh, his longest runs are on Deadbeats, Elvira, Soul Searchers & Company, All-Star Squadron, Hawkman. And then he penciled the entire 12 issues of the Vision and the Scarlet Witch uh, series that uh, Steve Englehart wrote. I like his art, but he is very cartoony. Very And I cartoony. think that's part of the reason why this story doesn't work as well as it could. Mm. The Avengers are in a small town trying to root out a cell of the Sons of the Serpent. They're staying at a hotel with a young child who idolizes them. He finds out his older brother is the leader of the Sons of the Serpent and turns his older brother into them. And then it is sad. Mm. Mm-hmm. This is very much an Astro City story. Because it's not about the heroes. The Avengers are in it, but they're not important. It's about, the, it's about this kid who thinks heroes are the coolest thing in the world and just loves them so much. And then when he has to turn his brother into them, he realizes sometimes being responsible isn't a lot of fun. And so he stops pretending he's a superhero. He takes all, down all of his superhero things. He learns a lesson, Jason. Okay. And then he puts on his leather Fonz jacket and walks out into the sunset. <laughs> It's it's not a great story, but it does show the it kind of God things crazy. that Kurt Busiek, I think, is interested in, and I, I don't dislike it. I completely dislike it. <laughs> the last story this annual is called Clowning Around. I also dislike this one. <laughs> written by Gary Barnum, drawn by Steve Bucciolato, and inked by Mickey Ritter. As a group of Avengers tore the construction site of their New Age queue, the workmen take care of some D list villains who attack the site as they are afraid that the Avengers will destroy all of their hard work if they get involved. I actually really like this story. I it's think so hokey. It is hokey, but I think the art is fun. The art's fun. I but I can't imagine
0: these two construction worker dudes being able to beat any, if or
1: most or any of these villains. Really, you don't think a normal person could beat Plant Man? No. Or what? The
0: guy can control plants.
1: I mean, the guy that takes out the Water Wizard like is doing like jump kicks galore. Like. I know. <laughs> Um,
0: and how do they take out the wrecker at the end? Like, well, we like still man, whatever the wind blew and he fell over.
1: But they drop, they take out the wrecker because they dr- they use a forklift to drop, or not a forklift, but like a, a crane with yeah. a bucket on it to drop all this construction material on him and they bury him in yeah, it. But does that? But they jump on him before that and they're trying to. Yeah, s- you notice he's not stopping. Yeah. And then aren't they? Are they still hanging on them when someone drops all the debris on top of him? I hope not, because that's. But I see people jumping around. I think you're taking this story a little bit too seriously. I should say we haven't talked about Steve Buccalato. That's because I can't tell you much about him. Uh, born in May of 1968, has done a small amount of penciling, but mostly as a colorist, and he does both color and pencil. This story again. I think the art looks nice, and I think it's fun. I think this is. It's just like the monster truck rally from the last issue, that story. Agreed. Where it's a fun story that, you know, you don't want to think about too hard. I guess my thing is, I, maybe I get too wrapped up in the backups.
0: I, I, want, I want them to be more stories. Probably because the main story of the, of the annual was so bad that I'm looking for something to make me go, oh, I bought this Avengers comic because I like the Avengers. And then I get jokey stories or stories that don't have the Avengers
1: in them. And I'm like, oh, I'm sad now. I think that we would both agree that these are not good annuals. I would agree. I think part of the problem is that these annuals are 64 pages. Yes. And they don't need to be that long. Aren't they all, aren't all annuals 64 pages? I feel like not so much after this year. I think they go down to like <laughs> Maybe forty-eight. Realize,
0: like, oh, that's too
1: much. 32 or 48 pages because, yeah, because what you end up, I would rather pay less as a, as a, as a, consumer consumer i'd much rather pay less yeah and not have to wait through media watch yeah i get
0: the main story and maybe like a backup i don't need four or five backups at the end at least they didn't throw one of those like avenger files in here with like details about some guy that showed up in
1: one issue yeah yeah i don't think we need that but yeah so that's the 1990 avengers annuals that's it what do you think about those i don't like them jason says buy them all nobody else likes them either All right, Are we done? Are we wrapping up here? Yeah, we're done.
0: Thanks for listening, everybody. If you want to get in touch with us, our email is avenginghour at gmail.com and our Instagram is at the Hour. and I noticed you started using uh, Instagram stories
1: or reels or whatever those things are called. I used one. Of course, as as long-term listeners know, I am 114 years old and so it's difficult for me to understand the newfangled things that the kids do. But we've had such nice... Uh, people saying nice things about us, including the X file, the X Factor Files podcast. Which, if you're not listening to, you should because it's actually really cool. Looking at Peter David's—I know you won't listen to it, Jason. I like it. I don't just do—I just don't
0: really listen to podcasts, but I like Peter David's X
1: Factor. Uh, yeah, looking at Peter David's X Factor, which is—I as someone who doesn't re- doesn't read mutant stuff generally—I read Peter David's X Factor because I really enjoyed it. Anywho, people were being nice, and so I'm going to try to also do some stories and yeah i think we're trying to like wave our hands more like hey look at us over here pay attention to us listen to our
0: podcast and sometimes just still photos aren't doing that
1: yeah and that's
0: it that is it cool what do we do now we leave and then they listen to us next week okay turn it off